Listeners, and welcome back to Dark Corner. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. We are a podcast that features a new horror story every episode, and we're always looking for writers. So, if you are a writer or know anyone that is a writer that likes to write scary stories, we'd love to read them. Simply visit our website at SebastianFilmsUnlimited.com and click the podcast tab and follow the instructions to submit. We are on our sixth episode now, and we're going strong, and I'm happy to see our progress. Uh, If you do listen to every episode and you haven't followed us or subscribed, please give us a follow and or subscribe, depending on what podcast player you use. Um, The more subscribers and followers we get, the better word of mouth advertising we get. And there's no better advertising than word of mouth. So today's episode is called Hell's Road and is a short story I wrote and I hope you really enjoy it. So without further ado, here we go. Hell's Road, written by Kyle Kaufman. It happens. July 18th, 1975, rural Southern Illinois. Officer Burke steps out of his green and white police vehicle but is parked on the side of County Road 141 in Coral County, Illinois. He's a tall man in his late 30s with dark hair. He takes one last drag from his cigarette and flicks it on the side of the road. It's a very hot day and the cigarette ignites a patch of brown grass. He stomps on it until it's flattened, smashing the fire and smothering the flame. He takes a deep breath and removes his police cap to wipe his sweat from his forehead. He joins Sheriff Rhodes, whose police vehicle is also parked on the side of the road. Sheriff Rhodes is staring at something on the ground right off the road in a ditch beneath two trees. In disgust, Officer Burke's face falls. Ever see anything like this before? Sheriff Rhodes asks in his Midwest accent. Officer Burke shakes his head with an unfortunate glare. Sheriff Rhodes is in his mid-sixties and appears to be ready to retire after seeing today's scene, now more than ever. Lying on the side of the road is the dismembered body of what appears to have been a woman in her twenties. She wears a white dress, stained with dried blood and dirt. The two law enforcement officers look down to see her body, head missing. The sun beats down on the body and Sheriff Rhodes holds a soiled brown handkerchief to his mouth and nose in hopes of covering the stench. She's been dead for at least a week, he says. What you thinking? Officer Burke asks, looking away from the body. Sheriff Rhodes looks around. Fields of farmland as far as the eye can see surround them. The body was dumped here, he responds. Not seen anything like this before either. Serial killer? Officer Burke asks, pulling out another cigarette from a pack in his right shirt pocket, not daring to look at the dead body again. Unconvinced of Officer Burke's question, Sheriff Rhodes shakes his head. Nah, not quite yet. First body, and hopefully the only body, he says. Then what? Officer Burke lights his cigarette and takes a very long drag. Maybe a pissed off husband, or she was at the wrong place at the wrong time, he says. Who reported it? Officer Burke asks. Old man Stanton said he was driving to Maisie's farm when he saw something on the side of the road resting near these trees. Once he got close to it, that's when he realized it's a dead body. Resting? Officer Burke takes another drag of a cigarette. Then, 
Stan is on his way. He informs Sheriff Rhodes. Stan is Coral County's only coroner. Coral County is located in southern Illinois and is made up of a lot of small towns and hundreds of miles of farmland, mainly corn and bean fields. But murders are not something that occur in Coral County, Illinois, ever. When Stan finally arrives with his old beaten up Coral County van, he vomits three times after seeing the body. He's a slim man in his late 40s and a nightly drink the entire bottle of whiskey player. The first wretch was from last night's whiskey. The second was from his toast he had for breakfast to soak up last night's whiskey. And his third, well, that was most likely the remaining whiskey. Sheriff Rhodes pats Stan on the back as Stan leans on his truck for support. His wooziness was not from last night's adventures with the bottle, but from the grotesque sight of the headless dead woman. Another two officers arrive on the scene and begin to place yellow police tape around the trees where the body still lies. No need to bother with that, boys, Sheriff Rhodes says. Old man Stanton already made his run this morning on this road. No one else is coming out here except a tractor or two, maybe this month, to work the fields. The other two officers stop as Officer Burke helps Stan pull out a black body bag and a stretcher from the back of his truck. After another hot hour in the sun and several photographs taken, the body is now ready to be transported. Stan, who has now pulled himself together, leans down to move the body. He slaps on his latex gloves and motions for assistance. Officer Burke and Sheriff Rhodes eye one of the other officers, and he joins in and pulls out a pair of latex gloves and helps. When they lean down to lift the body, a piece of the woman's dress moves, revealing something on her sternum. What the hell? Stan asks as Sheriff Rhodes and Officer Burke lean down. Right below the woman's cleavage line appears to be a wound on her skin. Officer Burke removes a pen from his right shirt pocket next to a cigarette pack and uses it to pull down the dress and reveals a line carved into her skin. All of the men eye each other in bewilderment. Then Stan pulls out a small pocket knife and cuts her dress down, revealing her entire stomach. Their faces turn a pale green as they all grab a handkerchief from their pockets and cover their mouths. Stan and Officer Burke gag into their handkerchiefs. A 12-inch upside-down cross has been carved deep into the woman's abdomen. What kind of satanic bull, Sheriff Rhodes says standing up. Is that an upside-down cross above her? Officer Burke begins, but can't seem to finish his sentence without gagging once again. Who would do such a thing? Stan asks, looking up at the men. Sheriff Rhodes gazes into the fields of farmland, searching for something, for someone, perhaps. Anything, but all he can see, but all he can see are the undisturbed farmlands. Call the rest of the boys out here, Sheriff Rhodes commands Officer Burke. We gotta find this head! What these five men do not realize is they are not alone on this country road. In the fields, several people are closing in on the five officers studying the dead body in the ditch. These people are wearing worn clothes and carrying tools of some sort. Some carry pitchforks and small axes, while others carry sickles and shovels. Are they farm tools or weapons? As the people are steps away from the officers, they hold the farm tools high in the air and charge. The people attack the five men. Horrifying screams suddenly erupt as the sounds of the weapons slam into the officers' flesh and bodies. The events that happened on the afternoon of July 18, 1975, in Coral County, Illinois, would haunt the rural county for decades to come. The grisly murders of the officers would not go unexplained, though. 
Through a careful investigation, several arrests, and a trial that rocked the state of Illinois in 1976, the headless woman and the officers' lives would be avenged. After it happened. It wasn't until the next night that the officers' mangled bodies were discovered. The bodies were no longer on County Road 141, but found in several abandoned barns and old condemned farmhouses surrounding the farmlands. On the evening of the officers' murders, Deputy Carlson, a young man in his mid-twenties, was dispatched to the scene where the headless woman lay. After no communication between Sheriff Rhodes for several hours, dispatcher Nancy Connor, a plump woman in her fifties, dispatched Deputy Carlson to check out the scene. Upon arriving, he found Sheriff Rhodes, Officer Burke, and Stan's vehicles, but they were nowhere in sight. He nearly tripped over the headless woman, whose body still lay in the ditch. As he scanned his eyes around the scene, he noticed fresh blood stained the brown grass, and it was a lot of blood. He slowly stepped backward towards his patrol car to radio Nancy to send help. The next day, at first light, an investigative team was assembled. The remaining Coral County officers, with the assistance of the state police, searched the farmlands for the officers and opened an official case for the headless woman. After an exhausting eight-hour search, one by one, the missing officers were found within one mile of her body. The details of their mangled bodies were never released to the press. Inside the abandoned barns and farm homes where the bodies were found was evidence of squatters in the buildings. Though no squatters were physically found, old blankets, ragged clothing, and empty food wrappers covered the floors. What sent chills down the investigative team's spines were demonic carvings and drawings on the walls. Some of the drawings were even painted in blood from what could only be assumed was the murdered officer's blood. It was clear to the investigative team that there was a group of people within the last 24 hours who occupied these buildings and created these demonic images on the walls. Pictures of pictures of the images would later be leaked to the press showing upside down crosses a devil with horns and goat feet, stickmen being thrown into a fire by the devil's tail, and more disturbing pictures to follow. Several wax candle stubs were scattered about indicating that a seance of some sort occurred recently. Most likely the night before, and with the mangled bodies involved, they could only assume some sort of satanic ritual. What they believed they had on their hands was a traveling satanic cult. Now the question remained, where were they? why it happened. They called themselves the Hellers, and they were the group of people that savagely murdered the officers and the headless woman. They were apprehended two counties east of Coral County three days after the officers' murders. A farmer had called the local sheriff to report a group of people clad in bloody clothing hiding in his barn. There were a total of 13 members, including their leader, Albert Shaw. Shaw was in his early 30s and called the remaining 12 members his disciples. There were eight men and four women, and their ages ranged between 19 to 26 years old. During their trials, the Hellers were once compared to the Manson family, but these comparisons were quickly diminished by the local press as the Hellers were very aware of what they were doing and drugs didn't play any role in their murders. They considered the murders as sacrifices to their god, Lucifer. The Hellers didn't start out violent initially. Shaw formed the group in 1970 to protest the Vietnam War and promote peace in America. Despite their protests against the violent war, 
They weren't being taken seriously by the local media and elected officials, so they started to lash out. Shaw, who spent a brief time in Vietnam himself, but was wounded, quickly began to despise everyone who spoke of the war. He claims the horrendous violence he witnessed changed his life forever. When questioned about his faith, his response was, No God would allow such mayhem, so I turned to another faith. That faith would lead him to becoming the leader of a violent satanic cult. Recruiting his disciples was easy, according to Shaw. Most of them were runaways and hitchhikers who followed his teachings and believed in him and his teachings. The trials lasted six months and put Coral County on the media's map nationwide. The trial ended in numerous convictions for each member, but Shaw pecking most of the convictions. All members were sentenced to be executed. The road the officers were murdered at is now referred to as Hell's Road, nicknamed by local teenagers who have passed down the stories from generation to generation of the grisly violence that occurred on that hot summer day. It has been rumored that on Friday the 13th and Halloween night, traveling satanic cults occupy the road to conduct their own versions of seances. The identity of the headless woman was never discovered, and it remains a mystery to present day. Some believe that she herself was a member of the Hellers, while others debate that she must have been an unreported runaway. Some urban legends claim to see her headless body wandering the fields of farmland at night, always in search for her head. Okay, listeners, well, I do have a special treat for you. We're not quite ending the podcast yet. I have a poem that our third episode writer, Elliot A. Stevens, wrote. The third episode was called The Suicide. You might remember it. If not, you can go back to the third episode and listen. But he submitted a poem called Relentless by Elliot A. Stevens that I would like to read to you guys. Relentless by Elliot A. Stevens. It was to be a long walk home one which I greatly dreaded, for the woods were quite a ways further, and in their horizon the sun firmly abetted. The weather turning dreary and my legs growing weary, I trudged further on alone down the barren dirt road. Peering first behind me and then towards the sky, I found gray clouds rolling in and let out a sigh. Darkness overcame and the stars began to shine. My breath appeared in the air and the woods I soon would find. Suddenly broken was the silence when a distant howl sounded. My heart began to race, and with each step pounded. I came upon the forest and disappeared inside. Being so thickly wooded, I hoped I could hide. Crickets by the thousands chirped to the night, but the howl nearer now came again and paralyzed me with fright. I stepped up my pace as the wind began to blow, the first signs of the storm finally beginning to show. Again the beast did cry, and closer still causing me to run, sensing it was moving in for the kill. What fate held for me I did not want to know, for there lied ahead still one mile I had to go. Thunder clapped above and rattled my tired bones, in between each were heard the beastly groans. Wind whipped through the forest, rustling the leaves, I could hear the creature scurrying between the many trees. Surrounded by blackness, I got turned around, and soon realized that I was closing in on the hound. I turned the other way and ran as fast as I could, only a few hundred yards to end of the woods. Lightning exposed my whereabouts and thunder rocked my skull, the monster I heard breathing as I reached the grassy knoll. Upon the other side stood my abode, but echoing through my head was the creature's mighty strode. The field in between waved like the sea, 
tall swaying grass reaching above my knee. Rain began to pour, turning the ground to mud, greatly slowing my trod through the ever-thickening sludge. With only a few steps to go, I tripped on a stump, stumbled upon the earth and couldn't get up. The storm pounded against my face as I looked towards the sky, then lightning revealed the beast and I knew I was going to die. My heart swelled in my throat as I staggered to my feet. The flashes strobed its pace, which I didn't want to see. Fifty yards away and closing in fast, as I reached the front doorstep finally at last. But when I turned the knob, I discovered it was locked. I fumbled for the key and found I had it not. I banged against the door, trying to knock it down, while my heart unmercifully continued to pound. In the tiny window, I saw the beast behind. With each bolt of lightning, I was running out of time. I smashed through the glass and grabbed for the lock, but my vision grew hazy as I went into shock. I dropped to the porch bleeding from the glass, while playing behind my eyes was a joyous past. It was over for me, I was sure, cause I felt I could take no more, but when I fell against the wood, open popped the door. I crawled across the threshold and kicked the door closed, but when I turned around, I found I was not alone. There, poised by the fire, saliva dripping from its jowl, he lunged for my throat, and into the dark, damp, thunderous night air echoes its relentless howl. All right, listeners. Well, I hope you enjoyed Hell's Road and the short poem, Relentless. I know that was a little special treat, so thank you to Elliot A. Stevens for letting me read that. And if you enjoyed Hell's Road, I have good news for you. There's more to that story than just the short story I read to you. Hell's Road that I read to you today is actually a prologue to a short novel called Hell's Road that I wrote, which is available on Amazon. You can also find it at hellsroadbook.com. Uh, you can find the link to buy it on Amazon. It's $9.99 on paperback and $1.99 on a Kindle. So if you are interested in reading more of Hell's Road, please visit the website hellsroadbook.com and from there it will give you the link to Amazon to purchase the book either on paperback or Kindle. I greatly appreciate it and I'd love your feedback if you read the book, uh, what you thought of it. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Uh, we would love to grow our subscribers and followers, and uh, we love the word of mouth advertising. Also, if you're on social media, please give us a follow. We're on Instagram at Sebastian Films Unlimited, and uh, you can also follow me. I'm at Instagram at Kai Kaufman, K Y E C O F F M A N. Do not get it confused with at Kyle Kaufman, that is a different person who got that at name before I had the opportunity to get it. So I had to drop the L for my name for Instagram. So that's at Kai, K-Y-E-C-O-F-F-M-A-N. You can find me on Instagram and you can find Dark Corner Sebastian Films Unlimited, who produces this podcast at Sebastian Films Unlimited on Instagram. Okay, again, we're always looking for writers for uh, short stories to be read on this podcast, Dark Corner. We're looking for anywhere between two to 3,000 words. Could be more, could be less. Uh, just, we're looking for really good stories. So if you are interested in submitting a short story or know someone who is, please visit our website at SebastianFilmsUnlimited.com. From there, click the podcast tab and follow the instructions to submit. All right. Well, until the next episode, I hope you all have a hauntingly good week. This is Kyle Kaufman, your host of Dark Corner, signing off.
This episode of Dark Corner was created, produced, and edited by myself, Kyle Kaufman. Our opening music was composed by Mauricio Perdillo. Background music during read provided by Mule Tami from freesound.org. This has been a Sebastian Films Unlimited presentation. You can visit our website at www.sebastianfilmsunlimited.com and find us on Instagram at Sebastian Films Unlimited.